The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Let's get to our guest, Paul Gambles, co-founder and managing partner at MBMG Group. And Paul, great to have you with us to look at the markets. Um, the energy crisis in Europe is uh, really uh, causing a lot of distress in markets. We've seen the euro at uh, 20-year lows. Uh, is there any way out for Europe in the short term? Uh, yeah, um, so good Good morning, Brian. Um, I mean, th- th- there is. There, there are lots of ways out of this mess because this is, you know, this is man-made. It's totally unnecessary. Uh, but th- th- they're probably not ways that... Uh, that there's any obvious indication at the moment that uh, Europe or the rest of the world is going to take. You know, we, we've seen that uh, this is really um, a response to, you know, bad geopolitical policies. Uh, firstly, the sanctions, and then, you know, last week, this, this absolutely chaotic idea of the price cap. Um, and at the moment, you know, we're in a situation where policymakers are actually doubling down on mistakes, they're not. Uh, they're not retracing. They're not backtracking, and they're making it a lot harder. They're digging a, a much, much deeper hole for themselves to uh, to have to get out of. So um, it's possible, but at the moment, there's absolutely no indication that policymakers are going to do anything other than just make it an awful lot worse. Yeah, Paul, Stephen Engel here. So the ECB likely 75 basis point hike. I mean, where are they going to get the growth when they have inflation at 9.1 percent? <laughs> I think you know the answer to that. They're, they're, they're not. I mean, this is another instance of policymakers absolutely doubling it down. You know, we know that we know that uh, monetary policy is absolutely a terrible way to deal with supply shock inflation. The policymakers themselves have been telling us that, uh, and yet, you know, they're now doubling down to do more of it. And you know, we, we got the same thing last week at uh, at Jackson Hole. From uh, uh, you know, it, it was it's probably the, the least words that have done the most amount of damage in terms of Jay Powell's. Uh, J. Powell's claims, and if you if you pass it, you know what he actually said, and I don't think he meant to say, was that they're prepared to do a uh, a seven percent reduction in U.S. growth if that's what it takes to take seven percent off the uh, off the inflation rate. So, uh, you know, again, it's bad policy that's being doubled down on. We need to reverse from this. We need to go the other way, and yet actually we're just doubling down on this all the time. Well, uh, a big 
a big part of the inflation problem is the Ukraine war. And this is Russia invading a neighboring country. So you say it's bad policy that sanctions are applied? Well, I, I, I think that uh, actually Russia invading Ukraine, if that's what happened, didn't really spark any inflation. If we, if we look at it, there's, there's clearly a delay between the, the date of the Russian operations and the start of inflation. And it's really sanctions that, that filled that gap. Um, and every time we've seen further sanctions imposed since then, that's created another wave of inflation. So, look, I'm not a geopolitical analyst. I'm not going to say what's, uh, uh, you know, what's right or wrong geopolitically, but certainly the geopolitical policy is what's creating this inflation. It's absolutely down to sanctions. It's not down to the Russian operations in Ukraine. Well, Paul, they're not listening to you. The RBA is going to hike by 50 basis points, the ECB by 75, and the Fed absolutely. 75. <laughs> so, absolutely. That's I'm saying. That these guys are doubling down. You know, we can see the we can see the dangerous impact of of you know more sanctions, and yet we keep getting more sanctions. We see the dangerous impact of more interest rate hikes, of monetary tightening, and yet we keep getting more monetary tightening. So, you know, can we get out of this? Yes, we can, but we're we're not on a course to do that. We're on a course to keep making it worse by doubling down on policy that's really just you know aggravating the situation. You said basically the U.S. and European policymakers have been doubling down on bad policy. And I see in the notes that one of your contrarian views is China's recovery. Um, obviously, they're easing monetary policy and they're stepping up some targeted fiscal support. But many are saying that it's not nearly enough to counter COVID zero policies that's really killing off right now, at least, uh, domestic demand. What's your take? Look, that, that's, that's very probably right. But um it's still a significant divergence that we're seeing, you know, in, in China, we're getting uh, easing, we're getting monetary easing, we're getting fiscal easing. And yet people are saying, well, you know, that's not enough. In the States, you know, we're still getting monetary and fiscal tightening. Um, so it's it's still a positive divergence in, in favor of China. And at some point, you, you have to assume that the, um, the, the uh, headwinds from COVID lockdowns are going to, uh, you know, are, are going to dissipate, and, and, and we are going to get some form of reopening in China. So, uh, look, we're not saying China's going to be, you know, g growing at, uh, at absolutely sort of gangbuster rates tomorrow. But uh, this this seems like it's a reasonable time to be picking up Chinese assets. I think, you know, we've spoken before about the, the fact that we prefer uh, domestically focused assets, such as smaller companies. So we think it's a reasonable time to be picking those up while they're cheap. The longer that the problems go on and, and the, the more evident it is that the, uh, the stimulus policies are inadequate, the cheaper they'll get. So keep buying them. But at some point, you know, we, we think it's inevitable that China will introduce adequate stimulus be able to implement it without the sort of political problems that beset, you know, Europe or, or the states, and that lockdown will go away. So, so you know, net, net, that Paul, makes it still constructive on China. Yeah, it seems like what you're saying is that the Chinese economy is fundamentally stronger than it appears, while the U.S. economy is fundamentally weaker than it appears. Absolutely, absolutely, and and uh, you know the key to all this, I think, is that the the European economy is absolutely, you know, immeasurably weaker than it appears. That's uh, that, that that's the real sort of uh, problem child in the equation. But the one thing one thing that I've been thinking here of late is that, you know, with the Fed pretty much telegraphing that it's going to slam inflation no matter what the cost. I mean, normally that would be a signal to to sell down equity and. 
and even Europe. I mean, it has declined here in this current setup. I mean, you mentioned that the DAX is down 2.2 percent, uh, but it could be worse. And so it almost augurs for <clears throat> for people thinking that there is some underlying strength that's not being recognized. But you say just the reverse. Yeah, I, I don't think it is. I, I actually think it indicates underlying weakness because I think uh, I think it's more of a sign that people are, for once, willing to fight the Fed. There, uh, when they when they hear the Fed double down, it creates a huge knee jerk reaction, and people then you know we get sell offs. But I think we then get data that indicates well you know things are not so great. Uh, we really do have a lot of um, a, a lot of structural problems here, and we are going to have to get a policy reversal um, at some point. You know probably sooner and, and of a greater magnitude than people are expecting. So that's when we start to get a bit of relief coming into the market so that people, are, people then, you know, don't believe the Fed's threats or they don't believe the ECB's threats, uh, which is why we then have to get, you know, the, the response from the policymakers to, to, to kind of come out boxing like, uh, like Powell did in Jackson Hole, saying, no, no, we really do mean it. We are serious. We are going to drive this bus over the cliff if that's what it takes. And so I, I think that's actually the sort of ebb and Colourful. flow that we're seeing in the market, which, you know, we've been talking about for months now. Yeah. Do you see an end to the, if, if, you know, the Fed does dial back a little bit, do you see the end coming by the end of the year then of this king dollar that's driven the yen up to 140 and the, the renminbi up closer to seven, weakening of the Asian currencies? Obviously, the euro is a different set of circumstances. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I, I, think, um, I think at that point, what, what we expect to see is that... Um, you know, dollar will keep strengthening while ever people believe that the Fed are going to, you know, implement policy divergence in terms of tighter policies in the states. At the point where we uh, we reach the sort of apex of that, when you know the Fed finally have to sort of fall on their sword and admit that you know they can't keep they can't keep uh, tightening. At that point, that's uh, that's probably going to be the high watermark for dollar, and we'd expect um, we'd expect a fairly significant retrace at that stage. So that's why we're constructive on uh, on the yen. It could go it could go you know, weaker than it is today. Stock up on yen while it's at 140, I guess, huh? Paul Gambles, co-founder and managing partner of MBMG Group. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com.